I was planning to do my next podcast on the inevitability of fascist government eventually being in control of Israel from the beginning of Zionism. There was really no other outcome that would, be, would have been able to come out eventually except the one that has today. But because of Mr. Smotrich's ridiculous and audacious visit to the Temple Mount, people asked me to say something about it now. So here we are. There are people in the press and all over the world calling Israel's new government religious fanatics. There are liberal Zionists that are saying, look what happened. Zionism was hijacked by Judaism, and now look at the results. As Zionists are wont to do, they want to shift the blame for the problems that they caused elsewhere. Currently, they want to shift it to Judaism. If we would not have Judaism, if they wouldn't be such religious fanatics, there would not be such problems. The only problem with that theory is that the chief rabbi of Israel and other rabbis as well have said that it is not only, not only was it a stupid thing for Ben Gvir to do, it was also prohibited according to the Jewish religion. And this is not the first time this happened. This is not the first time that Zionists have decided to take a provocative, absolutely unnecessary and prohibited, according to the Jewish religion, visits to the Temple Mount. And one does not have to be a rocket scientist to figure out why this is not only prohibited, but also irresponsibly, unspeakably dangerous for the non-Jews as well as the Jews in the Holy Land, and everywhere else for that matter. In the year 2014, in November, Israel's chief rabbi, Rabbi Yitzchak Yosef, called on the Jews to stop their attempts to visit Jerusalem's Temple Mount in order to restore the calm to the capital. There was then weeks of violence that ensued and religious clashes because of the Jews going up onto the Temple Mount, said Rabbi Yosef, who, by the way, is a religious Zionist, quote, we need to stop the incitement provoked by the people going to the Temple Mount, end quote. And he said this at the funeral of a 17-year-old boy named Sholom Ba'adani, who was killed in a car attack in Jerusalem, a terrorist attack that happened in retaliation for the Jews going on the Temple Mount. According to Jewish law, it is absolutely prohibited for Jews to go anywhere on that mountain, Yes, it is the holiest site in our religion, except, according to Judaism, whenever something is holy, holiness means less accessible than things that are not holy. If something is mundane, we have total access to it. The holier something is, the more restrictive it is. There are certain things that are somewhat holy, so you're not allowed to do everything with them, in them. A synagogue is holy, and that means that a synagogue is not your playground. You have to treat it with respect, and that means refraining from idle talk and various other type of behaviors that are perfectly okay outside of the synagogue. The entire Holy Land, Eretz Yisrael, is holy, and that means, amongst other things, that you have to behave in it better and more restrictive than you would outside of the Holy Land. Kodshim are things that are not accessible to regular people. The Hebrew word for a marriage is Kedushin, which means holiness, loosely translated, and the reason is the woman is now consecrated in the same sense that holy means restricted to all other men and is now only connected, permitted to her husband. When a Jewish man marries a Jewish woman, he says, Hariat mikudeshasli, you are now consecrated to me. Consecrated means prohibited to everybody else. The more holy something is, 
the more restricted it becomes. The less holy something is, the more accessible it becomes. The Har Habayis, the Temple Mount, is indeed the holiest place in Judaism, but holiness does not translate in our religion to accessibility or sovereignty. If anything, just the opposite. Now, the important thing to know over here is that Zionism, by definition, is the changing of the holy into the political. To the Zionists, if the Holy Land, if Eretz Yisrael is holy, that means Jews have to have it, as if the holiness of the land somehow translates into sovereignty. Jerusalem is the holiest city in the Holy Land, so that means the Zionists must have it somehow according to Judaism. But it's not, it's just the opposite. The Temple Mount is the holiest site in Judaism, and that means that the Zionists demand access to it, because holiness to the Zionists means just the opposite of what holiness means in Judaism. Holiness to the Zionists means it's mine. Holiness in Judaism means it belongs to God. A loose translation of holiness, when used in another way, means restricted, as in marriage. And even Orthodox Zionist rabbis, if you can call them Orthodox, and they certainly call themselves that, but they should, they should not be confused at all with Orthodox Jews such as myself, who recognize the settlers as, I don't know, further away from me, religious-wise, than you could ever imagine. And the reason is because they have mixed into their religion, have adopted, together with Orthodox Judaism, a large dose of nationalism, actual, organic, ethnic nationalism, which has nothing to do with religion, which is a contradiction to our religion, which would be comparable kind of to, as to somebody, and there actually is a synagogue that considers itself Orthodox, I think it's in Chicago, that does this, that mixes in Orthodox Judaism with the belief in Jesus as the Messiah. Believing in Orthodox Judaism and nationalism, meaning that the Jews are a nationality, that Israel is its nation-state, leads to the same level of contradiction and the same level of anti-Jewish ideology that would result from an Orthodox Jew believing that Jesus is the Messiah. And therefore, even the Zionist chief rabbi condemns the idea of going on the Temple Mount, and not only does he condemn it, he recognizes the most obvious fact that doing so is a provocation and leads to violence, which itself is a contradiction to Orthodox Judaism. Anything that could cause danger to people is a contradiction to Orthodox Judaism. Before the Jews would go to war in the days of, let's say, King David, they would convene a court of sages. They, they would ask God. You'd have to have a prophecy from the Urim Vetumim. Without such prophetic messages from God, prophetic approval, without the court of sages, it's prohibited to go to war, which is one of the reasons why uh, the state of Israel is against the Jewish religion. You can't go to war risking lives the way they do. Violence is anathema to Judaism, which, by the way, is one of the things that the Zionists hated about Orthodox Jews and why they wanted to transform the Jewish people, Jewish identity, from religious to national to political. Now, it's not only the chief rabbi that recognizes this fact, that it's unspeakably irresponsible to go up on the Temple Mount, but all of Israel's security experts recognize it as well. Then, in 2014, after the Zionists that went up on the Temple Mount provoked the violence that ensued, 
the Shin Bet called for the at least public figures. They don't care about religion, so they don't doesn't matter to them if Jews go there. But at least public figures, Yoram Kohn, the head of the Shin Bet, called for terminating their visits to the Temple Mount because it only results in violence. As well, Israel's head of police, a man by the name of Yochanan Danino, said he forbade Moshe Feiglin from going on to the Temple Mount. He was the Knesset member that did so, that provoked one of the ones that provoked the violence, until he said he lost the backing of the attorney general. It is a mistake, he said, the head of Israel's police, to allow entry to those who are a symbol of changing the status quo. And Ben Gvir and his gang certainly qualify. So who supported the trespassing upon the Harabayas, the Temple Mount, which, which is prohibited according to uh, Jewish halacha? Well, it was the Zionist rabbis and the Zionist politicians. When Yoram Cohen, the chief of the Shin Bet, explains that a series of events surrounding the Temple Mount, including visits to the site by Knesset members, intensified the backlash from residents of East Jerusalem villages, which was violent and sometimes murderous, instead of taking the advice of a security expert, which is also common sense, the Likud, the then Likud minister, Tsipi Chotavelli, called for his resignation. And by the way, she was one of the high-profile politicians that indeed went on the Harabayas, the Temple Mount. Her reasons? The usual, the things Zionists always say. Number one, it is wrong for Jews to break ranks with the Zionist leadership. The Zionists, of course, are the leaders of the Jews, in their own minds at least, and no Jews are allowed to break rank with them. Netanyahu then said that the surges of terror that happened then were due exclusively to the incitement of a certain Palestinian leader, the head of the Shin Bet, Israel's top intelligence agency, it would be like the FBI to the United States, said, no, that's not true. But you don't dare, no matter whether you're an expert or not, contradict the self-proclaimed, self-appointed, self-anointed leader of the Jewish people, Benjamin Netanyahu. Said Sipi Chotavelli that by doing so, the chief of intelligence, quote, harms the united fronts displayed by the prime minister and the defense minister, end quote. So what if Jews are going to be killed? So what if violence is going to ensue? So what if your own people will be harmed? It doesn't matter. Benjamin Netanyahu must be recognized as the leader of the Jewish people, the undis- not only the undisputed leader, his opinions must remain undisputed. Or at least when he and the defense minister agree, otherwise you're um, harming the united front. But it wasn't, wasn't only that. She also said that the chief of the head intelligence agency in Israel legitimized terrorism. Quote, his statements could be interpreted as excuses for Palestinian violence. And she told an Israeli radio station that she would continue to ascend the Temple Mount. Quote, the Palestinian murders started much before other MKs and I went up on the Temple Mount. If the Shin Bet chief wants to justify the slaughter of a three-month-old baby and falsely libel the Jews, it is better that he be removed from his job. In other words, she doesn't believe, or she does believe, but she doesn't want to admit that there is any provocation at all involved, even though she's some politician. What does she know about this? The head of police, the head of the Shin Bet, and the chief rabbi said that this is prohibited and 
it's a gross provocation. But the politicians don't care. This idea that, well, Israel can do whatever they want and there's no provocation because anti-Semitism existed before Israel and terrorism existed before Israel. So therefore, there's nothing they can do that can intensify the danger or throw fuel onto the fire is one of the most common yet illogical Zionist claims in you hear it all the time. How do you mean that Israel increases attacks on Jews? Don't you realize that anti-Semitism existed before Israel? Well, of course. But if somebody were to tell you that smoking causes cancer, you can't answer, well, don't you know that cancer existed before smoking? Of course, nobody says that Israel invented, Israel's actions invented attacks on Jews, but they certainly can add fuel to the fire, and they do. And when they do, the Israeli politicians, even when their own chief rabbi, their own police, their own Shin Bet says that this is a provocation, stop, because people are getting hurt, people are getting killed because of it, they don't care. Because Zionism, Iberalis. And no, nobody is justifying terrorism. This politician is trying to gaslight us into conflating cause with justification. So if I go, let's say, into a uh, urban neighborhood and I start screaming racial epithets and then somebody comes out and beats me up, he's guilty. He shouldn't have beaten me up, but I certainly was an idiot for doing so. By the same logic, Israel's actions cause, Israel's actions trigger, Israel's actions provoke anti-Jewish attacks, including terrorist attacks, including attacks on innocent people. When Israel's chief rabbi then said the same thing, he got the same treatment. Rabbi Yitzchok Yosef, again, a Zionist rabbi, he said, quote, this must be stopped. Only then will the bloodshed stop. End quote. He said that the Jews that go on the Temple Mount pour oil on the flames of unrest in Jerusalem. So the then chairman of the Likud party, we're not even talking about Smotrich's party, the then chairman of the Likud party and diaspora affairs minister, who then was none other than Naftali Bennett, yes, the one who was later to become prime minister of Israel, lashed out at the chief rabbi for daring to imply that provoking people is dangerous. No honorable chief rabbi, he wrote on his Facebook page, Jewish blood is being spilled because Arabs murdered them. Knesset member Orich Struck also joined the chorus of condemnation, declaring that she protests the chief rabbi, quote, blaming Jews for the incitement and murder by Arab terrorists, end quote. Knesset member Avram Wartzman added that the chief rabbi's comments, quote, express the essence of the Golis mentality which the Jewish people suffered from throughout history, end quote, and I want to explain that. This is one of the things that Zionism wanted to accomplish. Jews as observers of the Jewish religion, are peaceful people. We are enjoined, commanded, trained to be peaceful people. We're not interested in provoking. Even if somebody provokes us, we don't provoke back. It's true that Jewish law says that in self-defense, you're supposed to rise up and defend yourself. But to provoke violence and provoke terrorist responses to things to go on a harabayas, which never mind, never mind that it's prohibited to do according to the Jewish religion, even if it wouldn't be prohibited. Uh, 
religious-wise. It will be prohibited, according to the Jewish religion, because provoking violence is prohibited. Not only is it prohibited, it's insane. All for the sake of Zionism, for the sake of their national symbol. It's hard to describe what goes through their minds when they do such things. You know, according to the Jewish religion, not only is violence a bad thing, but keeping people alive, protecting life is paramount. Everybody knows that if uh, an ambulance driver has to drive on Shabbos to save somebody, even if a thousand ambulance drivers would need to drive, if there would be a 1% chance of saving one person, they all would. If they had to break Shabbos a thousand times each, a thousand times a thousand on a 1% chance to maybe save somebody's life, they would. Saving a life, protecting life, is paramount in Judaism. And now they endanger lives? For what? You see, this is one of the things that Zionists hated about Jews. And when I say hate, I mean seething, pathological hate. The fact that Jews were not violent, the fact that Jews weren't warriors, we, we eschew violence. We're disgusted by violence. You, When you have to do it, for self-defense, you have to do it. And Maybe you have to do a disgusting thing, and then it becomes a religious requirement to defend yourself when needed. But outside of that context, the Jews did not fight. We don't want to fight, and the Zionists hated this. Aren't you men? Where's the masculine power? Where's your manhood? Look at the Cossacks. Look at warriors. That's what we want to be, and that was one of the goals of Zionism, to change the Jewish personality from peace-loving or even better, from peace-admiring, from peace-cherishing to warrior-admiring. They wanted to admire the warriors. The Jews never did. We admire the righteous. We admire the scholarly. Warriors? No. We don't have any national holy sites, like the Alamo, for example, the site of a battle. There's no such thing all over the Bible. There are battles in the Holy Land all over the place. On every other page, there are battles, there are fights. None of the victories in any of those fights create holy places. Even our holidays do not celebrate victories. Even Hanukkah, when there was a miraculous victory, our Talmud tells us clearly that the celebration of Hanukkah, the holiday of Hanukkah, was not established because the Maccabees beat the Greeks at war. They did beat them. It was a miraculous victory. But the Hanukkah holiday was established only because... One day of oil miraculously lasted eight days. We don't celebrate war. We don't want war. We don't care for warriors. And this they wanted to change. And so, when this Knesset member, Avram Wartzman, speaks about the chief rabbi, and he says, this expresses the essence of the Golos mentality, that means the exile mentality, which the Jewish people suffered from throughout history. We did not suffer from our love for peace and our disdain for violence. You suffer from your love of warriors, people who are pacifists, people who disdain violence. That's not suffering. The idea that eschewing violence is a good thing, the Zionists strove to change. Now, what's important to know here is that although this was a general Zionist ideology, the pacifism of the Jews was disgusting there was one group of Zionists who in particular emphasized the need in their mind for Jews to be warriors more than others. And there was one religious rabbi, a Zionist rabbi, 
who conflated the political with the religious more than any other. And when you combine those two versions of Zionism, the nationalist rabbi, the political rabbi, the rabbi who imagined that in his delusion that there's no difference between the religious and the political that makes political religious and politics becomes religious. Yes, there was a rabbi that believed that. We consider him persona non grata. But to the Zionist settlers, he is their role model, and I am not speaking about Mayor Kahana. When you combine these two versions of Zionism, the politics of the warrior ethos with the religious mix of political into religion, the result, the sum of those two deviant anti-Jewish ideologies are the settlers. Clashes over the Temple Mount and its neighboring area is nothing new. In mid-August 1929, hundreds of Jewish nationalists, Zionists, marched to the Western Wall in Jerusalem, shouting slogans such as, the wall is ours, and raising what they considered the Jewish national flag. Now, at that time, there was no Israel, but they did have a flag. Why was it necessary for these Zionists to protest about the wall? Because it was the center of yet another conflict between Zionist and Arab nationalisms. Here's the story. Besides being legally Arab property, the Muslims considered the wall an Islamic site, which they referred to as the Burak Wall because they believe Muhammad's winged horse named Burak was tethered on the eastern side. In 1940 and again 1911, the Jews were told that they had no legal rights to the wall. Still, the Ottomans let the Jews pray there undisturbed. But as nationalism, Arab nationalism, slowly developed after World War I, came, coming with it was friction between the Arab nationalism and Zionist nationalism. Nationalist Arabs spread rumors that the Jews want to take over the Temple Mount to build the Third Temple. They perceived increased Jewish involvement with the wall as a threat. And when the Jews brought benches and a, a machitza, that's the wall between men and women, to the wall in 1928, to the Western Wall in 1928, meaning that the Jews made it into a synagogue, the Arabs complained to the British authorities who ordered the Jews to remove the benches. The Jews, the Zionists they were, did not comply, and the next day, which was Yom Kippur, the British forced them to take away the benches. Some Jews, some Zionists resisted. The Zionists considered the British action, the backtracking on the question of Jewish status. The British blamed these Zionists for turning a purely religious issue into one of politics and race. Now, here comes the rabbi, Rabbi Abraham Cook, his name was. He declared a fast day in the aftermath of the Kosel riots, but Rabbi Cook was a Zionist. Uh, rabbi Sonnenfeld, who was the chief rabbi of the uh, Yishuv then, tried to prevent further exasperations. He instructed his community not to follow Rabbi Cook's instructions and that nobody should fast on that day. Long story short, the Zionists, the Jabotinsky Zionists, Jabotinsky was the original Zionist fascist. He was not religious. He was anti-religious Jew. He actually said, he knows he's a Zionist. He said, I know I'm a Zionist because the Jewish people are a nasty people. Its neighbors hated and they're right. Jabotinsky was an anti-Semite. He hated 
Jews, and he wanted to change them so that they would no longer be hated. He said, if you want to know what a Zionist is, take a Jew. He said, take a Zhid, which is a derogatory slur for Jew, and imagine its opposite. Uh, a Jew is ugly. A Zionist will be handsome. A Jew is weak. A Zionist will be strong. A Zionist will be charming. A Jew is disgusting. A Jew runs and hides. The Zionist will learn how to command, etc. A Zionist, he said, is the opposite of a Jew. And he's right. A Zionist is the opposite of a Jew, but it's not the Jews who are disgusting, frankly. Jabotinsky was a militant and uh, fascist-influenced and it's his youth. He had these youth groups, Beitar Youth. They were the ones that protested repeatedly over the Jewish connection, quote-unquote, to the Kaisel, to the wall, which exacerbated the situation there and provoked the Arabs. Provocations led to violence, and the violence led to increased provocations because Jabotinsky believed that the Jews need to show their strength and then everybody would cower before them. And they did this for political reasons. Um, one thing, long story short, led to another. Things got so exacerbated that it led to a massacre in Hebron of Jews in 1929. The boys in the Hebron yeshiva that were killed, there were 65 people killed, were totally innocent. It was an absolute act of terror against people that weren't even in Jabotinsky's youth groups, and there is no justifying it at all. But when the British sent a committee to investigate the massacre, among the findings was that Jabotinsky's nationalist activity was a major trigger. The Commission of Inquiry under Sir Walter Shaw sat at the end of 1929 and declared that the Jabotinsky youth demonstration, quote, was more than any other single incident the an immediate cause of the outbreak, end quote. Sir John Shuckberg, Assistant Undersecretary of State for the Colonial Office, found that the demonstration that the Jabotinsky youth made, which was, quote, apparently of an aggressive and provocative nature, quote, was one of the immediate causes of the disturbances. Again, causes are not justifications. If I go over to a maniac and I insult him, and I provoke him, resulting in bodily harm to myself, he's not justified, but I'm guilty of causing harm to myself, knowing full well that such a thing would happen. After the violence, Sir John Chancellor, the High Commissioner, in a letter, wrote to his son, and I quote, there's evidence to show that the Jews, he really means the Zionists, realizing the need for a rousing interest in the national home among the Jews of the world and the need for a rallying cry to stimulate subscriptions, deliberately seized upon the Wailing Wall incident of a year ago and worked it for all it was worth and converted a religious question into a political one, end quote. So the Zionists have this thing. They're willing to risk Jewish lives and provoke violence against them if they gain political points by doing so. The conflation between the religious and the political and the national is the hallmark of Rabbi Abraham Cook's religious nationalist Zionism. Rabbi Cook is the role model for the settlers and their version of Judaism, which to me is no different than, it, it's no further away from me than Jews for Jesus. Nationalism and Zionism is idol worship. It is 
no, no closer to me than Jews for Jesus. Political conflicts become religious ones in Rav Cook's ideology, and religious conflicts become political. In fact, Rabbi Cook himself, himself said this in a letter written to the Mufti. The Mufti, three months after the massacre, in November 1929, um, I'll just read one relevant excerpt, quote, the Mufti calls the orderly march of Jewish youths on the National Day of Mourning a demonstration. According to him, meaning according to the Mufti, he's speaking to him in third person, it was not religious but political in nature. But this is completely incorrect, for it is impossible to make distinctions in the emotions of the soul. The love the Jews have had for thousands of years for the Holy Land filled the Jewish soul, and we cannot say which feelings are religious and which are political. And if some of the youths raised the Jewish flag at the wall by giving honor to their own people, they have not offended anyone, end quote. Rabbi Cook was duly condemned by mainstream Orthodox Jewish rabbis, and it is him, together with Jabotinsky, Jabotinsky, by the way, his protege was a man by the name of Benzian Netanyahu, who was the father of Benjamin Netanyahu. And Netanyahu is not even the most extreme of these people. The settlers are much more fanatical than Benjamin Netanyahu is. And the religion, the fanaticism, is not a religious fanaticism. This is, well, it's a religion in the sense that nationalism is. The conflation, the, the ugly conflation of the national, political, with the religious, the ugly incorporation of nationalism, of organic ethnic nationalism into the Jewish pacifist mindset, the transformation, the ugly transformation of what Judaism was to some grotesque, nationalist, pseudo-religious ideology is something that we condemn. It doesn't represent us. It doesn't represent Orthodox Jews. Again, even the Zionist chief Orthodox rabbi condemns this. According to Orthodox Judaism, one may not go on to the Temple Mount. According to Orthodox Judaism, this provocation is absolutely prohibited. In fact, even if it would be a mitzvah, even if it would be not only permitted, but obligatory to go on the Temple Mount, we would still prohibit it because of the religious mandates to protect life. Once again, let's not fall into the trap that the Zionist politicians, Naftali Bennett and Sipi Hotavelli, want us to fall into. Nobody is justifying any act of violence. Nobody's justifying any act of terror. What I am saying is, number one, the provoking of even criminal acts of violence is wrong, is stupid, odious, repugnant. It gets people hurt and it gets people killed. Two, this is not Orthodox Judaism. It is not ultra-Orthodox Judaism. I'm more religious than Ben Gvir, and I'm more religious than Smotrich. And I look at this behavior of the settlers, as do other Orthodox Jews, even the Zionist chief rabbi. Again, even the Zionist chief rabbi condemns this and recognizes this as a provocation. In public, even the Zionist chief rabbi says this doesn't represent... Zionist Orthodox Judaism. No, the settlers are a ugly tangle of organic nationalism, Jabotinsky's fascism, Rabbi Cook's delusional conflation of the religious and the political. All these toxic ideologies came together and produced a guy like Ben Gvir. Now, the truth is there are more ideologies that 
minor ideologies. These are the major ones. There are others that also uh, came into the mix. But one of the things that is not in the mix, one of the ideologies that was pushed out by the Zionism of these people, one ideology that their behavior has nothing to do with is the ideology of Orthodox Judaism.